You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, growing disciple-making leaders. My name is Marcus Honeysett. In this episode, we're going to think about the habits and rhythms of life that either sustain us or wear us out in Christian leadership. I want to begin with a confession. This has always been an area of struggle for me. I'm probably not the best person to learn from. But I hope that hearing a bit of my story might help you reflect on your own situation. In Matthew 11:28, Jesus says to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Restoration, spiritual resilience, and joy are all found in coming to Jesus for rest. When I began as a young student minister, a general assumption was that the period from September through to Easter was a long slog. However, the summer term and the university vacation period were going to be much more relaxed and slower paced. So gird up your loins for action for the first part of the academic year. Expect long, strenuous hours of hard but glorious work for the Lord, but with the expectation that Sabbath rest and replenishment are guaranteed later on. Okay, well, it wasn't exactly a biblical pattern of regular delightful rest with the Lord one day in seven, which then empowered our work, but at least it was a pattern that recognised the need for refreshment and replenishment. Somehow, however, it never quite seemed to work, at least for me. There was always one college that didn't have the normal patterns of study and exams. There were students with pastoral crises in the summer term. And come the university vacation, there were always resources to prepare, summer mission teams to lead, and freshers events to prepare for the new term. The intentions for rest were good, but for me at any rate, they never really quite delivered. And critically, nobody ever taught me how to make them deliver or took responsibility to help me embrace spiritually healthier patterns. Nobody taught me practically how to make Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 real in my life. The culture could actually encourage something more of an arms race to see who could do more, as if more and more visible activity was some kind of measure of spiritual value. It led to me ministering perpetually out of unfreshness with lack of enjoyment of God. When that's the case, the casualties are our worship life, our prayer life and wisdom, all of which flow out of space with the Lord. Our ministry loses its spiritual value when we lose our joy in God, because we can no longer honestly present him as compelling and captivating. That's what's at stake in the question about work and rest. It's not about how can I rest so that I can then press through exhaustion and be strong. Although there is an element of that, we do work hard. It is about how to maintain joy in God through regularly drawing from the wells of salvation. Many years later, I now know that I'm far from alone in this struggle. If you're a Christian leader, I will give high odds that you are bad at space, Sabbath and rest. In ministry, which inevitably has annual patterns and rhythms of high and low and work and energy, a critical question for how we structure our time is, what will help me have a spiritually vibrant life rather than one that is exhausted and drained? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if that is no longer the centre from which we lead, 
then we won't last the course. Ministers all too often treat overwork and exhaustion as a badge of honour rather than an indicator of self-harm. We often do it at the expense of our spiritual lives, but few of us would ever dare admit it. The result of not giving attention to our spiritual vitality is a lot of casualties, both short-term and long-term. We can ignore and normalise unhealthy patterns in our 20s, and then find that they are deeply damaging and unsustainable 20 years later when we're in our 40s. We're not the first to discover this the hard way. Let me read you some familiar verses from Exodus chapter 18. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood round him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge, while all these people stand round you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Well, there's the issue. Quite a contrast between the evening before, sacrificing and eating together in the presence of God, and the day after, judging to the point of exhaustion morning till night. There were two standout reasons. Firstly, because the people want to know God's will for their lives via Moses. And secondly, Moses not delegating. We don't know why we're not told. Maybe because they've just got used to him being the mediator and he settled for it. Maybe because once it wasn't too heavy, but it's got out of control slice by slice. Well, whatever the reason was, verse 23 implies that he couldn't stand the strain and it was wearing out not only Moses, but also the people who were coming to him. Hebrews 13 tells us that when leaders are overburdened, it does the people no good because they lose their joy in God and then everybody else loses it too. And it was all good stuff. There was nothing that Moses was doing was wrong. But if he can faint and buckle, you just bet we can. Moses' problem wasn't the things he was doing. It wasn't the working hard. It was overextension. He was maxed out and doing more than was possible to sustain. He had normalised an expectation of living with no margin in his life. I wonder what causes you to overextend in leadership. Those things are the enemy of habits and patterns for spiritual health. I have quite a long list, but you can summarise them in four categories. Firstly, my own expectations. For example, perfectionism, or getting my identity and affirmation from activity, or being unwilling to say no to good projects or people in need. Secondly, external expectations that are placed upon me, trying to please all the people all the time and fearing failing living up to their expectations. Thirdly, letting demand outstrip capacity. It's common to assume that more can be done by leaders than can be done healthily. And of course, it's far easier to accrete activities and responsibilities than it is to get rid of them. 
and fourthly, a variety of cultural reasons, such as a philosophy of getting the most done in the time available so as not to feel I've wasted my life. One interesting one is the relationship between paid leaders and volunteer leaders. Paid leaders assume that volunteers can do more than they can very often. On the other hand, they know that volunteer leaders also have pressured jobs and no margins themselves in their lives, so paid leaders don't want to work less hard than the volunteers. And this inadvertently can end up creating a culture that shifts absolutely everybody into overdrive. Not examining things like this is serious over the long term. It is a recipe for our load being greater than our limit. When that sets in, then the pressure will mean that we keep going beyond the point where spiritual dryness has set in. We will value activity more than prayerfulness or rest. We rarely leave room for crises, so we end up perpetually fighting fires. And for some, home life and marriage suffer in order to keep the activity running. These things are frequent causes of leader burnout and breakdown. And of course, it only takes one person to crack and the fallout can then cascade through an entire system as leader after leader try to take up the burden and then crack in turn. But actually, we should be wise to pressure well before then, because a long time before that happens, we have ceased being spiritually vibrant. The first rule of leadership is that you have to be alive. If we have become as spiritually dry and exhausted as everyone else in the church or more, we should no longer feel confident that we can feed the flock. Not only do we all have limits, but we all meet the law of diminishing returns. That tipping point after which the effort we put into something produces fewer and fewer results and is more debilitating and destructive of our spiritual energy and our joyful discipleship. I remember one ministry team I used to lead. When I became team leader, I discovered that some of them were working crazy hours for comparatively little result. They were exhausted and they had no joy. Their relationship with God was at a low ebb and they were constantly struggling with low level illness. They had gone past the point of diminishing returns. Activity had supplanted prayerfulness. They found it so easy to start off with love burning hot for Jesus and to do a lot because they loved him and they loved other people, and then the burden started to squeeze out the love for Jesus, and they found they weren't enjoying the activities either. It's very easy to end up with duty that can be little more than Martha syndrome at best, or slavery at worst. The result in evangelical churches is often a culture where everyone feels it is necessary to achieve everything that could possibly be achieved. That people won't hear the gospel and will go to hell if we don't, and leaders who subtly egg each other on to more and more rather than to healthiness. Nobody knows how to get off the hamster wheel because stepping off would just increase the burden on everybody else. These things can become compulsive, driven by a multiplicity of factors and baked into the system. And they're not easily negotiable. The result is a lot of activity while grinding to a halt spiritually. But we mask that with more activity. What is not happening while under pressure is the nurturing of a healthy life with God. Task can easily replace Jesus. Writer Tony Horsfall very helpfully lists four main areas of overextension for leaders. Emotional energy, physical energy, time and finance. 
I would add a couple more, spiritual energy and desire to fulfil expectation from others. If we overextend ourselves for any length of time in any of these, the results are debilitation. Well, that's really just to describe briefly some of the contours of the issue. I have seen leadership situations where people felt guilty even admitting that their habits and patterns are unhealthy, in case someone will think they're incapable. We all have patterns and rhythms. The question is, are they healthy or unhealthy for our spiritual and physical life? And what are we modelling to others? What's the answer to these things? Well, in many ways, I think that's not a helpful question because they are multi-layered and therefore any response has to be as well. But at rock bottom is the fact that while even youths stumble and fall, God does not grow tired or weary and those who wait on him renew their strength. So a key question is whether our schedules encourage and insist that we wait on the Lord and hope in the Lord or whether they prevent it. That's a key barometer. Unless we wait on the Lord, pressure and tiredness will overwhelm eventually. Input exceeding output is the main thing. Here's horseful again. If your output exceeds your input, sooner or later the shortfall will be your downfall. The antidote is coming to Jesus for rest. But in my experience, it's hard for Christian leaders to even know what that means, let alone renegotiate the situation. Almost nobody ever does it on their own. We rarely have the deliberateness to do so. After all, it means changing our patterns, expectations of ourselves, expectations that others have of us, our attitude to time, activity, and how we use those things for affirmation. It takes practical strategies for getting off the hamster wheel and embracing a different view of work and rest, all of which is hard. Taking the lid off the pressure cooker starts with honest review, probably not on our own. For most of us, it takes Jethro to come from outside and help us analyse the factors and encourage us to make the changes. Step one in taking the lid off the pressure cooker is intervention of spiritual care, without which we can't get to step two, which is renegotiation and healthy and accountable new patterns. This is not a selfish question because other people's well-being depends on ours. The question is, what practically needs to be changed in my life in order to live with long-term margins? What do healthy spiritual patterns look like? What will help me set thresholds well below the maximum possible level of activity in order to avoid overloaded living? My favourite description of Sabbath rest in the Old Testament comes in Nehemiah 8. We read this. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Scripture being explained, holy repentance followed by joy, 
celebratory worship in the presence of the Lord and feasting with generosity, enjoying God because the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the strength for the life of discipleship and leadership. Experiencing the joy of the Lord in our hearts is the starting point and the sustaining power. With the pattern of weekly Sabbaths, annual cycles of feasts and lifetime cycles of jubilee, patterns of worship-filled rest were built into the life of the people of God. Now, regardless of our specific theology of Sabbath, I hope we can all agree that having holy margins in our lives for the sake of the Lord, our hearts, the church, and for wisdom, prayerfulness and worship is important. If you look at the best examples in the Bible, you know, not the ones where it was all joyless legalism, you find the people deliberately stopping, basking in God, worshipping and enjoying grace, slowing down to rest and relax, and embracing God's goodness and applying it to the whole of life with prayer and worship, and often with feasting and celebration. Sabbath was designed by God as a diary pattern for living in joy. If we neglect what God built into creation for our joy, then we shouldn't really be surprised if over time our joy disappears. A margin is the difference between the load we are carrying and our limit. Space. Nobody ever thrives in life in general, or spiritual life or Christian work with no margins. Holy stopping, however, is not normal to our Western mindset. We think it's unproductive. We think people will judge us if we have nothing to show for our time. But if we run at 100% all the time, if we have nothing left in our fuel tank, no energy, no discretionary time, no spiritual capacity, then we have no ability to react to unexpected challenges or opportunities. Margins provide those. Like Jesus, for example, when he met the woman at the well in John 4, relaxing and then choosing to spend another two days there at no notice just because they asked. When God himself rested on the seventh day of creation, he was setting a pattern for us of dividing work from rest. It gives permission and invitation to be restored and revived in a consistent, regular way. A regular way to recentre on God and for him to deliver grace, goodness and joy into our lives. We can get so caught up in doing Christian work that we neglect our spiritual lives. And we're often positively affirmed for doing so. It can be highly socially approved to be ultra busy. After all, who in Christian work wouldn't say it's worth investing every waking hour in pursuit of the gospel? However, this also means that we have the perfect excuse for never stopping to analyse whether our spiritual lives are healthy or not. And that excuse is doing more ministry. The very thing that might drive us into spiritually unsustainable habits can be the thing that we use to avoid self-examination. We get positive reinforcement for existing in a debilitated state, but can feel that we're letting the side down if we take positive steps to get out of it. So we brush it under the carpet and soldier on to avoid the fear of what we might discover. I wonder what are the chief challenges for you in using your time well for your joy in God? How I wish someone had told me this kind of stuff early on in my ministry and it helped me establish good patterns for spiritual health. What they actually helped me establish was patterns of frenetic activity and study and evangelism 
right up to my limits, but not have patterns for recalibrating, renewing, restoring, and cultivating my inner life would serve me in the long term. I admire patterns like the Anglican Daily Office. I've never made it work for me, but I do admire it. At some point in the past, some very thoughtful people asked themselves, how can we structure our days round devotion? If we don't, then devotion is probably going to get sidelined. As evangelicals, we can easily reduce a day structured around devotion to a quiet time, and then maybe even reduce the quiet time to study rather than worship and delight. Whilst I can't get the daily office to work for me, I long to see a thoroughgoing evangelical movement of passionate, devoted prayer and spirituality. All of this is to say that in these areas, it is critical to be proactive in building care for our hearts and dealing with factors that drain. It's critical that we're not reactive and certainly not inactive. Then we never get off the hamster wheel. And we might long for others to do it for us, but they're probably not going to. I believe that a chief tool for healthy spiritual living is our diaries. Our diaries show what we value. One thing you might like to do after listening to this is to take time to pray over your diary and start to consider what a healthy and spiritually invigorating schedule could look like for you. Your diary can be your chief friend or your chief foe. If you don't harness it for healthy habits, then it will be harnessed for unhealthy ones. Too often it's a tool of attrition. Planning patterns of holy rest might sound a bit odd, but it shows that we value it. Otherwise, we neglect what God says about our needs as his creatures. We live in a world where pressure to perform and achieve comes at us hard and fast in every sphere. Productivity and performance are seen as key indicators. It's incredibly easy to Christianize it. Exhaustion is normal in our work lives, and we bring it all too easily into Christian service. It may be that the Lord has used this reflection to help you see that pressure and fatigue or anxiety are signs from our humanness that we have our limits. We are wise not to try to exceed them, and we are not living in the centre of God's purposes for our humanness when we do. A couple of Bible verses to encourage us as we finish. Jeremiah 31:25. God will refresh the weary and satisfy the paint. And Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Well, thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't already, hit subscribe now to receive new episodes every couple of weeks to enhance your leadership. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.